Kings, the book of 1 Kings, we'll read in chapter 12, beginning at verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 25. I said to one of our men this morning, I said, you know, all of this grass uh, has really choked me up. And they said, Preacher, I didn't know you smoked that stuff. <laughs> well, you have to be clear about grass these days, you know, so that people know at least what you're referring to. I'm talking about the kind of grass you mow out in the yard. All right, as soon as I can get Pat to start doing that, if she retires, I think uh, I'll be better off. All right, First Kings chapter 12 and verse 25 Tonight I want us to think together on simply what I call a man-made religion. A man-made religion. Here's the way it reads. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, just hold your finger there, I'm not through reading. Let me just explain, if you're not already aware of this, that at this point, the kingdom had literally been divided. Because of Solomon's sin, his introducing idolatry to the people of Israel, God pronounced judgment upon them. And thus, as a result, the kingdom was divided. Rehoboam was the son of, of, of Solomon, and he naturally would succeed Solomon on the throne. Jeroboam, however, was one who was despised by Solomon. In fact, Jeroboam had to flee to Egypt for his life, for Solomon had determined to kill Jeroboam, uh, and so he fled out of the country, went down to a very powerful man by the name of Shishak. And so uh, at this point in this passage, the kingdom is divided between the north and the south, uh, Rehoboam being over uh, the two uh, tribes, uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin, and Jeroboam being the king over ten tribes uh, uh, that had gone uh, with him. Verse 28 continues, and I hope that's sufficient explanation at this point. And the verse continues, verse 28, whereupon? The king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places 
and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi, the tribe from which the priests were to come. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Man, apart and away from God, has always tried to devise a new way, a new method, a new plan, supposing that it would be far better than what the Lord has give, had given to man. You remember as far back as the Garden of Eden, when two brothers came before the Lord to offer their offering. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, the work of his hands. Whereas Abel brought a lamb and offered that sacrifice, shedding its blood and offering that upon the altar. A man called me yesterday and he said, Preacher, I've got a question. Where did... Where, where, did, where did Abel learn that the Lord required a blood sacrifice? Well, I said, as far as I know, there is no particular verse that tells us where he got that information. But I am persuaded that Adam, somewhere along the line, must have conveyed to his sons the necessity of offering an innocent lamb and shedding its blood and making that the offering that God would accept by faith. Well, uh, indeed, Adam found that God, in order to cover Adam's own nakedness, offered an, an animal, slew it rather, and in the slaying of that animal, in order to make coats of skin for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness, of necessity, blood had to be shed. And so somehow the Lord has conveyed through Adam to his sons that God demanded a blood sacrifice, a blood offering. And as we read today through the rest of the scripture, the Old Testament as well as the New we discover that God demands the offering of blood, the very symbol and essence of life, in order for that offering to be accepted or for it to make a covering, an atonement, a cleansing from man's sin. We read in our New Testament today, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You'll recall John said in the prologue of John in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, he cried, John the Baptist cried, saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
In other words, a reference to an offering by blood. And so here, man has always tried to devise a new method. Cain brings his offering of the work and the fruit of his, of his own labor. But God rejected that offering of Cain. But he has respect unto Abel's offering, for he offered a more excellent sacrifice, the Hebrew letter tells us, than Cain did. He came offering it by faith, that is, Trust in that atoning sacrifice that he offered unto God. And so uh, men tried to devise new methods of, uh, of uh, well, we could say what they call worship. The worship of God. Here then is the case of Jeroboam. He comes around and he devises a new kind of religion. In the very first place, at verse 26, I call this to your attention. Man-made religion uh, always has its origin uh, in the heart of man. But true religion doesn't come from the heart of man. It comes from the heart of our eternal God. It comes from uh, the will of God, uh, not from the mind of man. Isn't it odd that men somehow think, well, one way is as good as the other. You know, we all worship the same God, and one way is as good as another. I differ with that. The only way that is acceptable to God is God's way, not man-made methods and plans and schemes and man-made religion, but yet man, it is born in his heart. What an odd place for a man to suppose that he could bring about a true religion. For Jeremiah tells us, you'll well remember, in Jeremiah chapter 17, that the heart is, is deceitful and it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Greg read in our quoted this morning a passage from uh, the book of Proverbs 28 and 26 and tells us that the fool trusts in his own heart. How sad that men would trust their own ways and say, well, my way is as good as God's way. Oh, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but this is a better way of doing things. And boy, have we had a deluge of that in this modern day. Man comes along with his newfangled ideas and his new methods and his new approaches and thus he brings about what I simply call a man-made kind of religion. The Lord says, you'll recall as well in Isaiah 55 and verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. When will we ever learn that man who has gone astray from God and gone his own way, as Isaiah tells us in chapter 53. Like sheep, we have turned everyone to his own way. Man cannot improve on what God, a holy, a perfect, a sovereign God, has already established and set down. But yet we come along in this modern day and man wants to form a, some kind of a new religion and says, hey, just do away with all that doctrine stuff. We all love Jesus. 
We'll all get together on Jesus. Just forget all this stuff of doctrines that they say has separated us. Well, I want to tell you now, and I've said it before, when you do away with a doctrine of the Word of God, you do not have the Jesus that is revealed in the Word of God. You have another Jesus. You have another spirit. You have another kind of religion. And so don't let any man depraved, don't let any man persuade you that the old-time religion is out of date with God. I'm st- I still believe in that old-time religion myself. That's based on the Bible, the Word of God, as our only rule of faith and practice. So let me say that in the sense of Jeroboam, as he endeavors to establish this new religion, that we learn that the origin is of the human heart. Let me, let's see, look down verse 33. Notice he says in the middle of the verse, which he had devised of his own heart. Folks will always get in trouble when they try to work things out because I feel like this is right. I don't know how many people through the years in my ministry have said to me, well, I just feel like that, that, you know, what I'm going to do is right. I've told you about a fellow who used to live here in our county, moved down from Virginia. He said he went home one night from his office and said as he was traveling home in his car, the Lord spoke to him and said, go home and beat your wife up and leave her. Now, I'm not giving you a joke. And this fellow said, I went home and gave her a whooping and left. And here I am down in Georgia. Well, I said, I don't know who sent you down here, but I know it wasn't the God of the Bible that I read about, nor the Jesus of the New Testament, not at all. Well, I said, why would you do that? Well, he said, I just felt like it. I just felt like it. You know, if my dad had ever said, I feel like doing that, Mama had about a 10-inch iron skillet and always was a way of saying, hey, this, this is not going to work. <laughs> you know, any woman is smart who buys her a set of those iron skillets when she gets married. Uh, just keep them kind of on reserve in case. Now I'm going to be attacked by all the men in the church after this service. But here, what I'm saying is, it, this, this man-made religion uh, originates in the heart uh, of a, a man. You know, Nimrod, back in Genesis chapter 11, remember the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember uh, how uh, he said, let's all get together now. When the Lord had said, scatter all over the earth and replenish the earth. Nimrod comes along and said, hey, the only way we can survive is just get together. And we'll build us this tower, and on the top of it, there'll be the heavens described. In fact, it wasn't a tower that Nimrod had planned to build to be tall enough to reach up through the atmosphere and the stratosphere and own up into heaven itself. No, that, that wasn't it. But on the top of that, there was the zodiac. There was the worship of the stars. There was what Brother Ira's talking about this morning. There's the worship of demon spirits and the devil himself. 
And so uh, Nimrod come along and said, well, uh, we've got a better plan now. The Lord said, you scatter and get over all the earth, but we're going to get together now. And, they, and he said, let us build us a tower. Let us. Uh, so uh, Nimrod follows the same pattern as Cain, and he follows now uh, Jer- Jeroboam is going to follow the same pattern. The second thing you'll need to know about a man-made religion is it's generally devised for one's own selfish ends. For one's own selfish ends. People devise some kind of new doctrine and new meth- uh, new religion and new methods and new programs and they do it for the purpose for themselves. In other words, there's a selfish purpose involved in man bringing about a man-made and a new religious movement in order uh, to uh, uh, aggrandize himself. Now notice what Jeroboam did here. He sets up two calves, golden calves. You know, money and wealth usually catches the eye of most people. And so uh, Jeroboam said, we'll make these calves out of gold. We'll set one at Dan and one at Beth at, at Bethel. Odd that he had set one up at Bethel. Well, that's where his forefather came to know the Lord. You remember uh, uh, Jacob at uh, Bethel? And there the angels, God ascending, descending from heaven on that ladder. And uh, Jacob had a conversion experience. And yet here comes Jeroboam along uh, and he's going to set up a false god in this very place that had been so sacred that Jacob said this is none other than the house of the, uh, the gate, uh, the house of the Lord and the gate to heaven. So men come along with selfish intent. And they devise new programs and new plans so they can get a following. And that's exactly what's happening again in this modern day as it has in every age. We have people coming along and they adopt all the ways of the world. They devise little plans and programs in order to get a following. And yet when they bring them into that false kind of way, there is a while of excitement and thrill. Ah, but wait, sooner or later there is disappointment just as there was in Israel. There is judgment that comes as a result of disobeying and walking away from the Word of God. I don't mean this harp on this all the time. But I hear of these religious movements and they don't seem like they can get anywhere without having some kind of old rock dance band to come in and plink and plunk and jitterbug and carry on. I saw a TV show just one night this week off of Channel 8, the public television station. They were talking about the terrible syphilis epidemic that occurred uh, down in Rockdale County around Conyers. They interviewed several of the young people who were young people at that time and of such vileness. I could not listen. I could hardly view what was being revealed. But then again, they interviewed several. They interviewed one young man. 
And this young fellow started going uh, to one of these kind of rock Christian, so-called Christian rock concerts. And they had to have their gatherings and they showed even video of these kids just jumping up and down along with the hip-hop and, and music and the rhythm uh, of the rock band. Boy, I mean, and people look at that and they said, hey, boy, that's all right. And this young man said, you know, I was excited for a while. But he said, I didn't find in religion what I was looking for. And you won't either. But you'll find in Jesus, you'll find in the word of God that, that satisfies the longing of the soul. Say amen right there if you believe it. So what I'm trying to say is men have all these things. They want to keep the following. They want to have the crowd. Listen, I'd rather stay true to the word of God and, and not have anybody but a squirrel or two and one or two folks to preach to than to bow down and go the way of the world. And I've been in this business too long, honey. If you think I'm about to turn around and go the other way, you think again. The whole story is men for their own selfish purposes want to develop a new kind of religion. Well, he said to the people, if the, or Jeroboam's reasoning was, if I don't set up these golden gates, by the way, isn't that what Aaron did when Moses was up on the mount, delayed in his coming, and he makes this golden calf? Now, I want you to get this. In this act, they were not denying the existence of God. Nor were they saying, we are not really worshiping Jehovah God. But they were saying, hey, this will just kind of help us along. And the Lord had already said in the commandments that he gave both. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth. The Lord wants people to worship him and walk with him by faith. The just shall live by faith, not by icons, not by gods and goddesses, but simply by faith. That's what charged and stirred and convicted and convinced Martin Luther. Oh, the truth is we are to live by faith. Listen, I, I, I never ever cared much for artist's conception uh, of Jesus. I just never have cared for that. I don't even have a so-called picture of Jesus in my home. I don't have one in my study. I don't want to confuse my mind in any way with the God who is invisible with anything in my mind. I don't want to confuse it. I want to be able to walk with him by faith, not having seen, yet I love. And so I don't have that, and I'm not, I'm not condemning you necessarily if you do have, but I'm just saying I believe the Lord wants us to worship him by faith, not bowing before some icon or a golden calf or anything else. We worship him how, Jesus said in spirit and in truth. So Jeroboam comes up and uh, he is saying, now, hey, 
uh, I, if I don't put up these calves and have Israel and say, well, these are your gods, this is your God that delivered you out of Egypt. If I don't do that, the folks will keep going back down to Jerusalem, down there and worshiping God and offering their offerings in the temple, and I'll lose control of these people. Sounds kind of anti-Christ to me, doesn't it, you? In other words, man-made religion usually has behind it the idea of controlling Look at the cults. This little nutty fellow out in California just recently. One with Comet came by. I think he's thought and said to his group, Lord Chariot is behind that Comet. And it's going to come close enough and it's going to catch us out. We're all going up. Well, they all wound up committing suicide. Man-made. In other words, wanting to follow Jim Jones whom we all have read about with horror. All of that, all those hundreds of people following. And yet, Jim Jones didn't have anything that's worthwhile. He didn't have any gospel truth. But he wanted a following, and he knew the way to get it was to be religious. Now, don't mistake it. Don't be mistaken. The devil himself is religious. And he knows how to devise an appeal to the religious nature of man. And whether even an atheist wants to admit it or not, he's religious. Man is a he is incurably religious. I don't care where you find him, he is religious. And so Jeroboam takes advantage of that. Now, I'd like to notice something else down here in verse 28 about man-made religion. It is ostensibly for the good of others. Notice what he says, verse 28. It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> he said, we're just doing this for you. I've got you in mind, he said. I don't want you to ever trek off down to Jerusalem every time you want to worship. He said, uh, we'll just have something that's very convenient. Man-made religion that is generally made for supposedly the good of others is usually offered in convenience and with no demands on people. We've got a lot of uh, outback kind of religion in this day. How many of y'all ever eaten at outback? How you've eaten there? All oh, good steaks if you can stand wait in line. But nonetheless, you know what their motto is? Uh, no rules, just right. No rules, is that it? No rules, just right. Or just right, no rules. Do you know that's what people want in this day? They want a convenient religion. They don't want to go and hear an old loud-mouthed, bald-headed preacher get up and tell them about their sins and tell them they ought not to be cussing and gambling and buying lottery tickets and, and supporting the evils of Hollywood through the theaters of our day and running off down to the dance hall. And certainly in the summertime, they don't want a preacher to stand up and tell them they ought to keep their clothes on. You're welcome. They're like that. We want a convenient religion. We want a comfortable religion. 
We don't want anything to upset us, you know. Certainly, if we are upset, then we're going to go find some fellow who will pet us and spray a little toilet water on us and perfume us, you know, and powder, put some powder on us, make us smell a little better. But I'm going to tell you, just spraying folks with perfume and toilet water doesn't correct them. I'm going to tell this. I don't know if I should or not. We used to have a fellow who stayed with us when I was growing up. Uh, he was, uh, at one time in his day, he was the children's leader in the Billy Sunday, Billy Sunday campaign. Great old gentleman. But he had a bad habit. He didn't like to take a bath. And my mama, oh, my soul, I believe mama would murder if we didn't take a bath. But nonetheless, this fellow, we called him Uncle Betty. And Uncle Betty, instead of taking a bath, he had some kind of old cologne. And he had just dabbed that cologne on him, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of fix him up. Well, now, if you've ever been around anybody that puts cologne on and hadn't had a bath in a week or two, you can imagine the terrible smell that came from that. Well, me and my brother Bill, who most of you know, we got together one day and we said, hey, I know what we ought to do. Bill said, what's that? I mean, I said, what's that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I've, 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 I've told myself. But what we did, we emptied his cologne out. We poured it out and filled his bottle up with brown shoe polish. And you have never seen a fella get a tan so quick in all of your life as Uncle Betty. Now, I don't know why I'm telling you that other than to just simply say, you can, you can overlook folks' sin and just powder puff them and spray something that smells good on them and tell them they're all good and they're all going to heaven. Anything you do is all right. Listen. And, uh, but yet, what a stench in the nostrils of God. Well, ostensibly then, Jeroboam uh, said, this is for your good, and I'm just thinking about your convenience. I've never read anywhere where fallen Jesus is supposed to be convenient. You ever read that? In fact, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, he doesn't say anything about convenience. He doesn't say anything about comfort. I read in the paper here, there, here a while back, because little one of these little rock groups down here in Korea trying to get all the young people in. They said, you can come any way you want to. We have even atheists that come. And the article said, and they even feel comfortable in our midst. I thought to myself, something don't smell right. It's like, uh, it's like putting cologne on a fellow that hadn't had a bath in a week or two. The Lord wants men to face him, even your husband. You're just shacking up with somebody. Now, Jesus really put his finger on the problem, you see. He had to uncover all of that before he could really get down and bring the cure to this precious woman's spirit. And it's hard for a person to face their sin. 
They had rather shoot the preacher than to say, yeah, I guess you're right. I know I shouldn't do that and I shouldn't be like this. And it, it, It'd be easier just to, just to assassinate the preacher than to have to say I'm wrong. Well, I didn't mean to stay on that so long. The devil's lie has always been what I'm tempting you to do is for your good. He did to Jesus. He said, you're hungry, and up here 40 days, nights, and I know you're hungry, and if you're the son of God, or said you are, turn these stones out here into bread. I'm saying that, and listen, that'd be for your good. You don't want to perish up here on top of this mountain. In other words, the devil did the same thing back in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? Why, he said to him, what I'm telling you to do, if you'll partake of the fruit of that tree that God said you're not to, why, the reason he does that, why he knows in the day that you do it, you're going to become perfect, just like God. The devil's tricks. It's for your good. All for your good. And how many people do that? They do it in business. They do it in homes, they do it in marriage, they do it in churches. All of this is just for your good. Well, our lives would be for the good and the glory of God, not ourselves. Let me move on quickly, or I'm not going to finish by the 30 hour. Uh, let me say in the second place that man-made religion is contrary to the Word of God. Anything that pleases God will be in accord and sympathetic to the Word of God. Well, these fellow come along and they'll say, God reveals so and so to me. I have a word from God, a new vision. You better watch that crowd. If it's not in the book, you better leave it alone. If it's not in God's Word, I don't care how big a crowd they've got. I don't care how excited everybody gets. I don't care how much money they pull in. I want to tell you, if it's not in this book, men will have to answer to God one of these days for that very thing. Well, let me move on. A man-made religion always becomes a snare to others. Verse 30, notice what it says. Verse 30 reads... And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto death. Now the Lord said, down here in the temple, that's where I'll meet you, I'll meet you at the altar. But Jeroboam goes around and he kind of, well, he amalgamates false religion and idolatry with their worship of God. He... Uh, uh, he builds some high places, and that was the place where evil, uh, where the idol worshipers, Baal worshipers, and so forth. Uh, for example, these folks were following after three particular gods that were false: Ashtaroth, uh, Malcolm, or, or Molech, uh, translated that way other times, Chemosh. These were gods that heathen people worshipped. And yet what Jeroboam was going to do was just kind of bring all of that and mix it up. Now I'm not, and I hope you'll understand when I say this. If you have ever studied the doctrines and the actions and methods of Catholicism, I'm not talking about Catholic people, I'm talking about the doctrine. 
you'll find that they have gone into countries and they have enmeshed the false religions. They do not demand that even idol worshipers in jungle situations disown their God, but rather they say, here is God and we offer him to you. Worship him along with your God. The Bible said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is a jealous God, if you please. And he demands our absolute devotion and our absolute surrender and our following of him. So when Jeroboam did this, it became a snare to all the people and they became guilty of idolatry. Now, when you read of Jeroboam, and his name is mentioned several times in the records of the Old Testament, particularly uh, in the book of Kings and Chronicles. Do you know what it'll say about him? Jeroboam, who caused Israel to sin? Or who committed greater sin than any other king? And do you realize this, the influence of Jeroboam? Every king that followed him became a bad king over the people. And so it is, his influence, idolatry always becomes a snare to men and women. Not only that, but let me move on. Man-made religion, verse 31 would reveal, reveals that it has no regard for purity. Verse 31, do you see it? And he made an house of high places, made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. He went around and he had just pick anybody. The lowest, that is the base sort. Men who had no, uh, had, had nothing, had no concern for purity. No, no concern for holiness. And he chose them. In other words, from God's standpoint, these priests were unqualified priests and leaders of the people. That's the reason Paul is so, so dogmatic when he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about the qualifications of a pastor. I mean, he lays it down. Now, he didn't say these folks cannot be saved. But he's saying they're disqualified, just as people who are not in the tribe of Levi said, you're not in, you can't be a priest. You can't be a priest. Why? Because God said so. That's why that's good enough for me. That used to be good enough for me when I'd say to Dad, and when he'd say, no, you can't do that. And I'd say, why? He said, because I said so. That's good enough. And I know modern day psychologists make a lot of fun of that. But that's good enough for any young one. If mom or dad says no, that's enough. Certainly, I mean, explanations when there's a need for it ought to be given. Just because, well, anyway, let me move on. Unfaithful, unqualified priests. These uh, uh, men had an outward conformity uh, and parade, and that seemed to be enough to meet all its requirements. Then last of all, I'll close. Look at verse 32 and verse 33. Here you'll find that man-made religion, Jeroboam religion, had an appearance of being right. 
It had an appearance of being right. Look at verse 32 and then verse 33. Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month like unto the feast that is in Judah. Now you know what he did? The required day was on the seventh month and the 15th day of that month. But Jeroboam comes along and says, oh, it doesn't make a difference. We'll just have it on the eighth. That'll be more convenient, you know. That'll be more convenient. And so, uh, uh, we, you know, we don't want to put too many demands on the folks. So we'll just change this and it'll be easier for everybody and uh, to everybody to have the appearance of being right. Now, what he is doing, he or, listen, he uh, had an altar. That's what was in Judah, the temple. They had uh, priests. That's what he had. And they had ordained feasts. That's what they had. Now listen, in Atlanta, there's a church, quite a thriving church, that is called a gay church. Now I don't know, listen, I don't know where they ever got the name gay for a bunch of perverts and queer and homosexuals. But that's exactly what it is. Gay, it's a gay church. So come in and we sing the songs. And by the way, down in Florida, Brother Lively, and you don't have anything to do with this, I know, there is a school that, is, that announces itself to be a fundamental Bible-believing school where they're training young men for the ministry, but their professors are homosexuals and they teach the youngsters that it's all right just another way of life. I want to tell you something, folks. You can make all the excuses you want to make, but you won't change God's book on the subject. And you can call it fundamental, and you can have your altar and your priest and your regular feast and do everything just like an old-fashioned church does. But God said it's... He said, I, I can't accept that. God rejects it. Though to man, it has the appearance of being right. I would get on the healing crowd tonight, but I don't have time. Looks so right. What's so wrong with the preacher slapping somebody upside the head and them falling backward? What's so wrong with that? When he comes up, he's healed. I want to tell you what's wrong with it, basically. It's leading people astray. And putting people's faith in some kind of supposed supernatural kind of event rather than just what the Bible said, walking by faith. Well, I said enough to get you stirred up. And I trust that we'll be careful about following man-made religion. If you want the true religion, undefiled, you'll find it in this book. It doesn't have all the fanfare and all the drums. doesn't have all the big crowds. But even so, Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. But God help us not to pat ourselves on the back because we believe they are the truth. But God help us to get out in the highways and hedges and tell men and women about a Savior who died and loves them and wants to save. Amen? Let's stand together, please.